Hello. Welcome to the extra credits of Bo is Afraid. If you're white and you hate yourself, <laughs> this is the episode for you. <laughs> I'm Trey. And I'm Kelsey. Trey, I ask you to turn your music down and you turn it up. <laughs> I loved all the notes under his door. So, so funny. Good. Yeah, uh, this is probably a good moment to say that this movie rules. <laughs> Bo is Afraid is an incredible time at the theater. This yes. is an ambitious, vulnerable, absurdist exploration of sad men, middle-aged <laughs> sad men, and I guess they're destroyed psyche, and it's just fucking great. <laughs> this is basically like a white, middle-class, sad boy, neurotic epic. Yeah. <laughs> and I think so many of us are kind of genre-brained a little bit and need sometimes a linear narrative or some kind of central dramatic conflict in our movies. So I'm not sure that this is going to be a commercial hit or even loved by critics, but I think this movie is pretty genius in how it's exploring a lot of things, but mainly this myth of unconditional love. And instead of like being sad about unconditional love and the myth of it, it decides to laugh at that. And I just want to give credit to this movie right from the jump because Kelsey last night when we got out of the theater you liked this movie more than I did yeah I like was into it and I thought it was hilarious but you loved it and I think I'm zagging I love it I what? love this movie yeah <laughs> after one day with I was it. so prepared to hear your reactions today about what didn't work for you uh, because when we left the theater, I was really in on this movie and I understood mm -hmm. immediately because we had people leaving our theater, which we'll talk about the critical response to this. I understood why, like uh, if that is not your vibe, then <laughs> I, I get it. Yeah. But for me, this had notes of like pen 15 and yes. curb your enthusiasm, absurdity and humor about life. And yeah. I was, <laughs> I was in there like the minute it started. So I'm now I'm excited to hear about why you you love it after reflecting on it for like a day. Yeah, so we'll get to it. Before we get into it, this is a two-part podcast. This is our reaction kind of deep dive and mm -hmm. we'll start the conversation with giving a non-spoiler take of the movie and then we'll warn you before we get into spoilers and into our extra credits. Although uh, spoilers is an interesting thing with this movie because yeah. it's not really like a narrative working towards this big reveal, right? It's more of a anxiety epic right. I guess you could call it so this is part one and I'm so excited to hear your your thoughts but part two will be coming later this week and we'll be deep diving the movie with our friend James yeah long-term guest at this point yeah we'll see if James is afraid also if you're thinking about waiting to watch this movie when it comes to streaming services don't just yeah. trust us see this in theaters we saw it in IMAX I recommend it it deserves to be seen in theaters. Yeah, I think even more so than Hereditary and Midsommar, the idea of like materializing a feeling or a memory or a dream with surreal visuals was really well done in Bo is Afraid. Absolutely. And it was one of the most creative movies visually I think we'll see this year. So it's really yeah. worth seeing on the biggest screen possible for like just looking for details in the background for the sound. Yeah. And just like the theater experience to feel the people around you thinking, what the hell am I watching right now? Yeah. <laughs> like it's worth it. <laughs> there were so many random moments in the theater last night where different pockets of the IMAX, people yeah. were having different conversations <laughs> aloud, like during the movie <laughs> yeah. about what the hell they were watching. So yeah, I mean, Ari Aster really succeeded with this one. Even if surrealist nightmares aren't my thing, maybe listeners, they're not your thing either. I totally mm -hmm. get that. I still think this is a must watch. Like, this movie does have emotionally bizarre juxtapositions. It makes it very difficult to interpret clear meaning and intention sometimes, though I think the message is overt and explicit for a reason. But I, I do think anyone can watch this movie and laugh at yeah. the very least. It is the funniest movie I think I've ever seen in an IMAX. Do you think that's right? I feel like we never I don't know. see. I feel like we never see comedies. Yeah. In yeah. IMAX. Or any comedy adjacent movie. But I think our theater was full of laughter like the majority of the film. And it's yeah. probably like more of a dark comedy than any other genre. Cause I was going into it expecting something a little bit scarier. Yeah. Agreed. I was, I was expecting more of a hereditary because I knew it was about a family and I knew it was about 
a son and mother relationship. Right. And it's Joaquin Phoenix and he is, you know, a master at what he does, but also, was, also a weirdo. I was also <laughs> expecting master vibes. Like yes. I was expecting that kind of, even if it wasn't that weird tension, horror, yeah, the tension. Um, yeah. but it was something, it, I mean, there still was tension, but it In was absurd. Ways. And yeah. so it was totally different. In much more exaggerated, elevated ways. So yeah, again, if you know, you're not super into surreal trips into the subconscious mind, <laughs> I still think Aster made like Bo's subconscious really chaotic, but like heavily digestible Yeah, and makes it also entertaining. So again, I know we're like really selling this movie right now. Like I promise we don't work for A24, but just again, <laughs> trust us because Aster, I think really holds your hands through the first 45 minutes and shows you a world that kind of resembles normal life before throwing all of his anxiety at you in the form of like psychotic teenagers, <laughs> like there's impressionistic visuals and stop motion fantasies that come alive. Yeah. Some, some of the most uncomfortable Freudian parent moments yeah. I think happen in this movie that you won't ever forget. So there's so much to kind of take in. And I think people who might not have the sensibilities of a surrealist kind of movie, you'll kind of just fall into it. Yeah. And I think like, even if you walk out of this movie hating it, I don't think that you'll regret seeing it. Yes. Like you might not want to go see it again. And I think that's fair. We do. Um, yeah, I do. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. I, I think that like, even if you just really dislike this movie or, or the humor wasn't for you, like, I don't think you'll regret seeing it. If yeah. you're, if you're someone who likes movies. Yeah. Well, I guess I will say that I've seen people, I don't know what this means, like anecdotally on Twitter, on Letterboxd who have not liked the movie and have said it's like, I mean, to give you a small example, last night we walked out of the theater. I think it was a couple who walked out of the theater and I was waiting for you outside the bathroom and, and the woman goes, wow, I really liked that movie. And the guy goes, I think that was the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> And I was like, well, that, I think that's a good example of what the reaction to this movie is going to be like for the next yeah, few Yeah, well, weeks. we were in a screening with another podcaster and critic, um, and there are a lot of critics who had this response too, but um, they like totally hated it. I saw their tweet after. Yeah, yeah. And it was so funny because we were, you know, having a totally different response. So. It wasn't even that they hated it, just a completely different experience. Mm -hmm. Like people went into this movie wanting to have it explain. They want to try to explain the movie. They want to see like different uh, hints and they want different mysteries, almost like how Midsommar had like different uh, uh, images all over the walls mm. of this kind yeah, of Yeah, like the mural. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they wanted that, I think, going into it and they hoped for that. But this movie's so loud well, different. and explicit yeah. in like what it is, which I think makes it a special film because yeah. of that. So. All right, Trey, keep your phone on for calls from UPS. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into this. Let's do it. I'm visiting my mother tomorrow. Hi, Carrot. It's Mom. I'm just calling to say that I'm so, so, so excited to see you tomorrow. You're my angel, and I love you. Okay. I love you. Okay, bye, sweetie. I love you. Are you at the airport? I'm on my way. I just... It's not safe, is it? What do you think I should do? I'm sure you'll do the right thing, sweetheart. Welcome back. I hit you with my car. What? I know. What is this? That's my little assistant health monitor. Feeling sad about going home, Bo? Must feel totally unreal. I'm supposed to be leaving. I don't know if that's gonna happen. You will walk many miles. Dozens will become hundreds. Hundreds will become thousands. Your adventures will continue for years and years. I just need to get home. I know. So let's start off the conversation about Bo is Afraid with Ari Aster, the yeah. mastermind, the weirdo behind the, <laughs> the camera, <laughs> the weirdo we love. If you're a fan of Aster like us, just know he's back. This guy is as idiosyncratic as ever. I think he's in full form. He really knows how to create an atmosphere better than I think most directors in his cohort. I think it's really just him and Robert Eggers to me at this point who can do the surreal horror genre. Mm -hmm. I think people might want to call it elevated horror, which we're not going to talk about on this podcast. That's a debate for another show. 
But for people in this kind of like surrealism, horror, thriller subgenre, I think it has to be Ari Aster and Robert Eggers right now. I think a lot of people have said Ty West too, but those two to me are doing it the best. And while I love Eggers and Kelsey, you know, The Lighthouse to me is an all-timer. Yeah, another I'm, good example of like a movie that people go into not understanding the tone. Like if you didn't have Eggers uh, background. That's true. The context of Eggers helps in knowing how weird that guy is, but in the best <laughs> way possible. The Lighthouse is basically a comedy and that yeah. is kind of what Bo is too. So I think Aster is literally like a master filmmaker at this point. He's in full command of tone. Martin Scorsese agrees. If anybody needs any evidence, that's true. Like Scorsese, <laughs> big Ari Aster guy, apparently. Um, but yeah, I think Aster knows exactly how to shock the senses of an audience. And he still keeps this like emotional through line and nuance that makes his movies so human, but still have these like nightmarish qualities. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, not like Bo's afraid has any commercial element like Hereditary or Midsommar. So I'm kind of surprised that this movie got financed, though I'm really happy it did. Like this movie is a literal, surreal, David Lynch-like blockbuster, which is kind of a borderline death note for a studio and even a director because American audiences aren't exactly asking for a movie like this. Sure, yeah. But I think Aster is special because he kind of gets this mini blank check after only five years with three major features. And now I think he's made three unforgettable films in Hereditary, Midsommar, and now Bo, which is pretty wild. Yeah. And before we get into Bo, I want to talk about his first two films because he has similar themes that he's exploring yeah. and, and questions, and but he zags somewhere else. And I think it's really interesting because... Ari Aster was asked in an interview, um, I can't remember for which movie, but are you interested in cults or like you fascinated by that? And okay. he said he had like 10 scripts, but the two about cults were the ones that were picked first. Oh, wow. So and it's more of an indictment on audiences. Yeah. He was like, so I, I guess people <laughs> see that, but I don't, I don't really see that. And I think, uh, you know, he's more interested in the themes that show up in all three of these movies, which is family, like generational trauma, relationships, intimacy, through the lens of cults, oh, yeah. anxiety, absurdness, and bow horror, and these really unsettling stories. Like yeah. in Midsummer, he talks about it as a breakup movie mm -hmm. that's a fairy tale. But obviously, like when you leave any of his movies, you feel disturbed. Like yes. you, you just can't like wash off that feeling. And Hereditary, it's a family drama, but there's a cult as a metaphor for family, right? Yeah, he really uses that horror genre as a vehicle to tell these more kind of like stressful interpersonal familial dynamics mm -hmm. that are hard to watch because they're so universal mm -hmm. and you kind of cringe at the screen in all these movies, but he always just takes off someone's head in one of these movies to, re <laughs> yeah. to really sell to sell the film. Um, I really need to revisit Midsommar because I think both of Hereditary and Midsommar are great, but I think after these three movies, it's fair to say that Ari Aster believes like what you're saying, families as a concept are fascinating, you know, and yeah. they're flawed. And because he's obsessed with horror movies, it's no mistake. I think that Aster uses the family unit and relationships, or I guess you could say monogamy as sort of constructs to unpack as horrifying ideas yeah. or the action point of his horror movies. So I like that we have a director who is deconstructing family constructs as really his MO yeah. when he makes movies. Like, <laughs> yeah. We're about to talk about Damien Chazelle, or we already did, with Sean Fennessy of The Ringer, and that pod will be released soon. And we talked about how Damien Chazelle is obsessed with the cost of ambition. And Ari Aster has his own obsession, which I think is like this obsession with the terror of codependency, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, he's exploring concepts we traditionally see in a drama, but I think yeah. something else that makes Aster's movies so special is it feels like he has a commercial pulse like James Wan, but he is also provoking like Aronofsky and mother totally. And yeah. I th feel like that's a pretty difficult balance to strike, especially yeah. when audiences are walking into your movie, expecting more traditional horror elements, and especially after Bo. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what your first two movies were, were kind of focused on or, or more genre right? right? Yeah. And so I think for us, like we revisited the influences for Aster and, and Bo is Afraid and a lot of movies he loves. So this doesn't feel like too off base, but I understand right. why maybe there are a lot of divisive reviews on this. Like this isn't what we expected from Ari Aster. And I think Bo is Afraid is all the better for Ari Aster getting out of the horror genre, at least a little bit here, yeah. because 
what do we want this guy to do? Like make Annabelle six and be stuck <laughs> in the Hollywood institution that is kind of like crippling, interesting movies and thematically nuanced movies. Do we just want to kind of recycle the same old shit? Like, no, we, yeah. we have somebody new here. And Let's that's nothing against like horror movies. It's not like he's leaving horror movies behind. Yeah. I would say that he has a really specific aesthetic and set of ideas that he sticks to, which is that life is horrifying. Yeah. And like, I'm going to show you how crazy it is. And I, I think like we'll see these influences of life as a disturbing journey in Astor's movie. I hope so. Throughout his filmography. Like yeah. obviously it might uh, develop in different ways and evolve as he ages, which I'm fascinated. A rom-com to, when yeah. he's 50 <laughs> about the disturbing nature of life. <laughs> yeah. But like, this isn't new, right? He's been obsessed with horror movies since he was younger and dramas. Yeah. And like at a young age, he talked about how, images from horror movies like really sat with him. I think he said he saw Carrie way too young and he was disturbed by those images for a really long time. And that's what he wants to do as a filmmaker is like create these images that get under your skin and that Mm -hmm. sit with you even days after you leave the theater. And I think he accomplishes that in all of his movies, right? Like I think all of his movies are better than Carrie than De Palma's Carrie. Yeah. Yeah. But Bo is Afraid is impressive because it accomplishes that haunting, lingering image outside of a traditional horror genre. Yeah, and, it's full of those images. Yeah, <laughs> and I think like most horror movies have that grotesque or disturbing sequence. That's an, an important ingredient, right? Like Hereditary yeah. has the car scene, the treehouse scene, the classroom scene. I think that's like your favorite. Yeah, and then in Midsommar, they have like Danny's parents at the beginning of the film uh, later yeah. with like sacrificing the elders. And then... At the end of Midsommar, like every terrible American man gets destroyed in that movie yeah. <laughs> in one way or another. But then Bo's Afraid captures something similarly haunting, right? By constructing what it feels like to have a dream or a memory or these complicated feelings of reflecting on a feeling, but yeah. in a comedy. <laughs> it's it's kind of like a, a scary, disturbing Little Miss Sunshine, oh, but surreal. I like that. <laughs> so I'll put a link in the description, but I made a letterbox list of 30 movies that inspired or informed Ari Aster's career, and specifically Bo is Afraid, and a lot of the movies he's been talking about in interviews. It took me a lot of work to get that list together. <laughs> and the two movies I kept thinking about during this film were two movies from that list. After Hours, Scorsese, and Misery. Yeah, Misery for sure, but I didn't even, like, think of After Hours. I saw it on the list, but that whole idea of like, I don't want to go home or like, did I kill that person? Is everything my fault? (laughs) Even the idea of the ice cream truck, right? The like search mob that's functioning as this absurd lingering dread is also present in Bo is Afraid. That's so so great. For sure. And David, I think it was David Sims from The Atlantic who also said a movie that he thought or show, I guess in this case, inspired Bo is Afraid is the Looney Tunes. Okay. And I thought that was so smart because I think that fits the whole vibe of the first 45 minutes and really kind of gives you an idea of the varied interest that Ari Aster has in TV and film. But I think because Aster has such a wide range of influences, it's important to note there is, I think, one specific that he loves, which is this like challenge of the surrealist film, the challenge of putting this vivid subconscious on screen Mm -hmm. and then using like what we've been talking about, which are these like interpersonal family dynamics that add tension to really kind of like hold all the themes he finds interesting together in these kind of like kind of profound movies sometimes, which I think makes Bo is Afraid kind of a big budget surrealist version of an Albert Brooks movie or something. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest challenge for a lot of people with Bo is it's going to be these like surrealist tendencies that Ari Aster has, which again, I get like, I'm not in my David Lynch or bleak Ingmar Bergman era yet. Like, I don't know how many existential psychological surreal dramas I'm going to be in for in my life because frankly, I'm a little bit easily depressed by those kinds of movies because oftentimes they're kind of nihilistic to me. Same. And I'll hang in there for a really heightened movie if even if I'm bored uh, or it's just depressing because mm-hmm. I want to understand the foundational choices of filmmakers. And but, we just respect the, you yeah. know, the, the shot that yeah. they're taking. Yeah. But I think like for surreal films, they can veer on whatever the film version of like interpretive dances to me. And uh, <laughs> which, you know, funny. if that's, if that is your yeah. thing, cool. It's just like, not for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do like, 
I recommend people go check out this um, Czech movie I just watched recently, uh, Closely Watched Trains, which I, I think is an underseen film based on like the reviews on Letterboxd that I saw. But Ari Aster, just watching his interviews, he brought it up a couple of times and I decided to watch it and I loved it. It was great. And I was kind of out of it in the first hour. And then mm-hmm. by the, the end of the second hour, the movie's finishing up. I'm like, this is one of the best movies I've seen in like six or seven months. And then I tried watching another movie that inspired him, which is Songs from the Second Floor, last week and i had to watch it in increments and i still haven't finished it because it's so bleak and nihilistic and i know that that's like ari's jam and i'm not sure i like philosophically to agree with all those kind of choices in that movie and i'm more like maybe i'm more toward the discrete charm of the bourgeoisie kind of like comedic satires on something more universally bad like the wealthy mm-hmm. as opposed to like what's the point of life um so maybe i haven't seen a surrealist film that interrogates a single person's mind uh without finding it too indulgent yeah until now because i think <laughs> Bo is afraid is a very special movie where ari finds humor in his own character Bo's vulnerability that i actually think is very refreshing as far as like indulgent heavily indulgent stories go yeah well it feels self-aware yeah very self-aware i think people are missing that who aren't loving the movie mm-hmm. i mean there are some really good criticisms out there people who didn't it didn't totally click with and I think that they are also aware that the movie is self-aware. And I'll talk about some of those later. Sure. But for the most part, the divisive reaction seems kind of unfair. So I guess, ultimately, if someone is going to influence me to watch the classics in psychological trauma and also more surrealist films that let the unconscious mind go wild, <laughs> honestly, it might be Ari Aster. And I've said this with Damien Chazelle a lot when it comes to uh, movies about the cost of ambition, the cost of like uh, toxic masculinity. But when you have directors kind of make movies that are basically gateway drugs to more important essential films from the past century. I think those directors should really be praised. And Ari is one of those people. He's really mastered a, like kind of combining his depressing interests <laughs> with some big ideas about yeah. the self, because like sometimes he can maybe veer too much to one side, like be a little bit too depressing or a little bit too heady. But I really think with Bo is afraid he, he finds a special middle ground that is so entertaining and doesn't make you feel like shit afterwards like a lot of surreal yeah. movies do and i imagine that's probably that feels like an impossible task for directors like him and i think he was just so successful with this film yeah and i don't know if his movies you know make you feel great uh i wouldn't say that but <laughs> i think you're getting at something there uh, that they don't make you feel awful after you see them they make you feel disturbed but it's it's haunting for a reflective reason. Yeah, there's definitely good intentions. Okay, so let's get deeper into Bo's psyche. His nightmare. Yeah, and we're going to go ahead and talk about spoilers here. So go see the movie and come back afterwards if you don't want to hear spoilers. And like we said, even if you hate this movie after, I think it's worth going to see. Yeah, 100%. We're going to see it twice. So yeah. maybe three times. Cool. Yeah, because we deserve more weird Absurd interpretations of the human mind, you yes. know? Yeah. I've been thinking about this movie for like 10 years. There's a part of me that can't believe we're making this film. It's epic. Jumbo. Every detail has a detail inside of it. If you pumped a 10-year-old full of Zoloft and had him get your groceries, that's like this movie. I wanted to make a film where it feels like you've been through a life or even through a person. I feel a great responsibility to deliver something amazing. I'm visiting my mother tomorrow. Are you expecting it to be safe? It's like a Jewish Lord of the Rings, but he's just going to his mom's house. I want to put you in the experience of being a loser. (laughs) All right, so Bo is afraid deals with similar thematic questions that Ari's other movies do, right? Yes. It just has a different tone. So it's more of a dark comedy about family, generational trauma, anxiety, guilt, dread, anger, <laughs> the small things. Yeah. Um, and also like this myth that you are told about who you are and, and that you have about your life that you kind of break down as you begin to like live out your life more and more. Except for Bo, he breaks out of his shell at 49 years old. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Tough. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> story of America, but yeah, yeah well, I'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> but tonally, I think like, even though Ari Aster 
described it as a dark comedy. Again, I think that if people aren't plugged in like us about film news, they might expect to see a horror movie, right? Absolutely. And I noticed yeah. our theater kind of struggling at times to make sense of what they are watching because this guy is like putting his life on screen. I mean, Ari, I guess we could, you know, think about, but more so like Bo, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, there are these confusing, bright, nightmarish memories. And, and the first response to seeing someone suffer, right, is sympathy or maybe confusion about what sure. we're even seeing. And so I think that makes sense to like feel maybe not uncomfortable, but like, it's off what am I supposed to be feeling here? Right. I just really felt the like dark comedy foundation all the way through. And so like I was bursting out laughing in parts <laughs> all alone at certain times. And I'm generally a very quiet moviegoer. I, I don't like to disturb the piece. So yeah, I thought that was so interesting. You were in the right when bursting out laughing because like five seconds later, everyone else started laughing. It just, it hit you quicker. I don't know. You have a sense of humor that I think is a dark, dry humor that not everybody I think was ready for walking into that movie. Because again, like you're right, I think we were walking into what we thought was hereditary mm -hmm. and it was what you said at the top, like a Larry David skit. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't expect yeah. that. So I don't know if we've said this on the pod, but we've tried to stop watching trailers. Like yes. I don't think I saw a Bo is afraid trailer or if I did, I might've like, we might've closed our ears in yeah. Alamo, which is something so that we've been crazy. doing yeah. recently. <laughs> um, Try to be like really discreet. Just, yeah. Yeah. So I think people probably started to get a little bit antsy in our theater during the forest sequence, like yeah. transitioning into the stop motion sequence. Mm -hmm. I even kind of felt the runtime there. And I think people were really confused about what kind of movie this was. But ultimately, I really enjoyed the switch up. So I think if people went into this movie hoping to find some kind of safe linear narrative structure, that was just a bad idea. Though I understand why, again, the normal moviegoer likes to have that comfortable structure or singular tone. But in this movie, there are essentially, let's just say like five or six chapters in the film. There yeah. is like the Scorsese after hours, first 30 minutes of the movie with Bo <laughs> thinking his whole block of people is out to get him <laughs> yeah. to then literally his whole block being out to get him where he, <laughs> he has to like sleep on his balcony and then try to put his credit card into a, a shoe computer <laughs> yeah. uh, to then like the misery aspect of the movie. Like Bo is being held ca captive by this conservative family from suburban hell. Yeah. And then you go to the forest, which is like what Kelsey said uh, in the movie, kind of like a bug's life yes, reinterpretation. For sure. <laughs> like with the, the ladybug, you know, inspiration. Right. And almost like Wizard of Oz, I said it felt like HBO Station Eleven. Sure. Like kind of a sequence because they're doing like these plays that almost like literally the Odyssey at one point. And then that leads you into this stop motion Judeo-Christian persecution story that has the animation from the the Wolf House guys, mm -hmm. which was really interesting. I recommend people check out the Wolf Wolf House. We just actually started that recently to prepare for this movie, and that was fascinating. And then at the end of the film, and I'm probably skipping some chapters here of the movie, but you have like this psychosexual piano teacher, the birds, like we just mm -hmm. again watched the birds recently from Hitchcock. And there is that mother son tension of that film that they exaggerate to all other level mm -hmm. in this movie in the final chapter of the film. So there are just so many different vibes throughout Bo is afraid. And I understand now I think why it's so divisive from critics last week, though I have seen some critics and I brought this up earlier, so I'll talk about it again later on, but I have seen some critics and cinephiles try to reduce Bo is Afraid to something I think it's obviously not. And like you said, it's very self-aware. So the reduction of this movie is kind of annoying. It's reminding me of big Olivia Wilde, Don't Worry Darling criticism yeah. from last year, which was also frustrating. Yeah. That was a little bit different because there's a lot of sexism involved there. Um, but again, we'll talk about the criticism a little bit later. But I want to I want to talk about the major idea of this movie because even though Bo is Afraid is explicit in its message, there is, I think, a more fascinating idea at the end of the film, which is kind of rare for, I think, uh, Ari Aster's movie because in Midsommar, at the beginning of the movie, all of the kind of uh, relationship dynamics are the major theme of the movie. Mm -hmm. But in Bo is Afraid, I think at the end, when Bo is literally being put on trial by a coliseum <laughs> yeah. of people he doesn't know. And then he's sentenced to it's death. Like SeaWorld or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he's like sentenced to death and like a baptism from his mother or like by his mother. And I think the image of Bo not knowing how to reconcile his complicated relationship with who he's supposed to be in his religion, like, cause he's, you know, 
holding religious figures in his hand throughout the movie. Yeah. And also as this son who love hates his mother is a fascinating internal conflict that everyone is kind of judging from afar, literally in the movie. And then more like in a meta way in the theater. So I love that finale. And I think the closing credits, like even waking up this morning, I was just thinking about the closing <laughs> yeah. credits because we were hoping we, we were sitting next to James and all three of us said at the same time, I hope the credits start right now. Yeah. Like as soon as Bo is flipped underwater and you realize that he's dying, I'm like, this would be a perfect meta way to end this movie. And I'm assuming not to kind of like psychologize Ari Aster, but I would assume he has a similar feeling to Bo at the end of the movie, which is why he made it this way. Like having crowds of people spend money examining and laughing at your own subconscious being put on screen through Bo's character is kind <laughs> yeah. of like putting yourself on trial only to be drowned out by the people you don't know who are in theaters, like kind of criticizing you from afar. And it's like this sort of paradoxical existence that I think a lot of these post postmodern millennial filmmakers are doing like, I'm going to talk about this later, but Jordan Peele's Nope does something similar um, so I loved the end of this movie and the kind of idea here that the connection between Ari's filmmaking therapeutic journey and Bo's therapeutic journey to death. So I think in order to be like sane, maybe you kind of need to make this form of art. Uh, but for Ari, I think it even makes him a little bit more vulnerable because all of his like tragic, you know, what I think what we are all assuming as the public watching this movie that his uh, his own kind of diary is being put on full yeah. display in IMAX yeah. in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I loved when people started walking out of the stadium on screen at the peak of his suffering yeah. and like the motor catches fire <laughs> <laughs> and you hear like a random cough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's I, what I'm saying. Yeah, it's I hilarious. also wrote down that it reminded me of like the Star Wars Senate for some reason. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, people literally left our screening. So people watching people leave the call. Yeah. Like midway through. Yeah. But yeah. just, well, that's what made it so funny. It's almost like he knew people were going to walk out. Sure. Like he must've seen, I don't know. Maybe that was like, I hope we can have him on the pod one day because I would love to ask him like, what made you do that? Did you hear people walking out of Midsommar or hereditary? Because seeing multiple people walk out of a $20 plus 20 plus dollar ticket at the yeah. AMC IMAX, which isn't a great IMAX to watch this movie at to then like only stay for the movie halfway. And then to see at the end of the film that Ari Aster is kind of making fun of the people who left his movie halfway or making fun <laughs> of himself. I can't yeah. tell. Um, but again, just going back to the major ideas of this movie to be super transparent. I do think Aster actually paints a clear through line for all of his films. Like what Kelsey was saying earlier through Bo, which from listening to him in interviews this movie seems to be his most personal film. So I think it's fine to like investigate it as maybe showing the through line of his three mm -hmm. films. So I think Aster is kind of exploring this idea of unconditional versus conditional love. I think it's very explicit at the end of this film. Yeah. The therapist says it when he, he comes at, well, it's a recording of him, but I right. love when he just like comes out of the bathroom casual. Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> yeah. he's like, pull up the records of October 13th, 2018. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so, you know, Bo says in the like recording that he loved his mom, but when he didn't give love back, uh, like he felt guilty and right. he was like, ah, oh, conditional. Yeah. That's the transactional part of love that I think Ari Aster is fascinated by. And I think, by the end of Bo, that there's actually kind of a statement there, uh, for lack of a better word, that all love is sort of conditional and there is a myth of unconditional love. Whether that unconditional love is to a god or a parent in this movie is a is an interesting idea. And I think that he's saying that that's like a damaging belief that will kind of like inevitably spiral someone out of control. So I think you can actually really spot a through line of all of his films if you revisit them again in Bo, which is awesome. Um, so I love this idea of exploring the lies of unconditional love with the family unit and hereditary yeah. monogamy or relationships in Midsommar and now parents and religion and Bo is afraid. And I actually think the theme he's best at interrogating is codependency, which is what I brought up earlier, which yeah, I think I didn't use that. I have never used that word with his movies, but when you said it, when we, when we walked out, like yeah. that made a lot of sense. Well, cause he does the, the son and mom so well in hereditary. Mm -hmm. And then I actually think he does it the best of all three of his movies with Danny and her boyfriend and Midsommar and like Bo and his mother is, is great in this movie, but I almost think there's so much going on that yeah. for some reason, Midsommar, <laughs> it hits the scariest part of Midsommar is the first 45 minutes, I think, before they even get to Sweden and the craziness takes off. But I do think he deconstructs codependent, codependency like someone 
who maybe has been through seriously bad breakups or has complicated relationships with his parents and religion. So I think he actually has a ton of insight to offer in that arena. Uh, so yeah, even though Aster desperately doesn't want to, I think maybe fans of his movies to do what I'm doing right now, which is like over intellectualizing his films. Sure. Yeah. I do think he is incredibly well suited to find the terror and horror and humor in the unstable relationship between needing connection mm -hmm. to like have purpose and then the unfortunate transactional obligation of love, even mm -hmm. if that's pretty cynical. I think he does sort of like reconcile those emotional contrasts in a pretty realistic but also devastating way, which somehow he also makes incredibly entertaining at his own expense. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't think he needs to do that, but I guess in that way, his movies are therapeutic because you know you're you're in trusted hands because he's, you know, kind of exploiting his own fears and his own pasts. And, and that makes you feel a little bit more comfortable. At least I felt comfortable thinking about my own life when watching Bo is Afraid. So I yeah, think that's probably feels, the biggest compliment I could give him. Yeah, it feels like pretty raw. I mean, he says in a lot of interviews that most of his scripts are from a place that feels therapeutic. Like that's where yeah, they that's start. Cool. And he also, I mean, he created Bo. I'm not sure at what time, but he did say he was doing a lot of the writing during the pandemic and you can feel the first hour, especially. Yeah. That yeah. influence, right. Of like being trapped in your memories and grappling with this absurdity of being self-aware, but still being tortured and controlled by like cognitive distortions yeah. or like <laughs> when Bo, you know, uh, it's like a minute he lost his keys, um, you know, a minute ago and he's picturing the worst case scenario of someone yes. violently breaking into his home. And it's so hilariously ironic that Bo feels guilty, <laughs> this guilt trip that his mom puts on him for not being there when she inevitably dies or what we think you know yeah. she dies because all these cognitive distortions that he's having what we learn is that it's because he was traumatized as a child from his mom mm -hmm. um and when she actually ends up not being dead <laughs> yeah. it is a hilarious <laughs> reveal like genuinely some of the funniest shit i've seen in a long time yeah and i think you figured it out before I did, uh, like you were like, the mom is not dead. Oh. And I was still, I was still not there, but when she showed up, I still didn't fully think she was dead because mm -hmm. there has been so much thrown at us at this point. That's just not real. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it basically functions like as a representation of his feelings of being trapped or lost or like a fleeting connection. Right. right. He's like, in the suburban hell house right, yeah. with a surgeon. And I don't know if she's like a CEO or something, but she has to go to a shareholders meeting. I don't know. Yeah. And he's able to fast forward on the TV, like where he yeah. is. Like all that is kind of like, wait, am I trusting the, the character too much here? Yeah. What's going on? So, but I mean, I think her being alive is also an absurd representation of a parent testing their child. Absolutely. So he essentially like pulls off a plot twist that in itself <laughs> isn't fully real because yeah. it's all functioning as like this manifestation of Bo's anxieties, the whole movie. So yeah. it's so, it's so funny. I guess that would be like the biggest spoiler that someone could tell someone is that she's not really dead, but it doesn't matter because all of this is just like absurd. Right. But I think when Bo chokes his mom at the end, like that's when we're supposed to understand this kind of tangled web of what it feels like to reflect on something that you feel like you also might depend on like family or even yeah. just the idea of what family should mean to you. And I, and it's so interesting because a lot of people were saying, I don't think there's a message and Bo is afraid. And I think like, this is kind of where it is. It's just a lot thrown at you. Like, and it's a huge journey to get here. Yeah. Or people at the very least think the message isn't that profound. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but that, I think again, that's like Midsommar head. That's YouTube explained head, like <laughs> looking for mysteries that, are smarter than you people thinking that they're smarter than a movie. I, I hate that. Show. We're going to talk about it a little bit later. Yeah. But I mean, I really liked the scene with the mom, uh, having her monologue and the therapist just like sitting there smiling and yeah. then Bo, you know, ultimately choking her because we get like whiplash here where we have sympathy and understanding for his mom who mm -hmm. wasn't loved by her parents and now like continues this cycle of emotional abuse. But Bo is also angry and so repressed that he just acts out of violence yeah. when his mom tells him that she hates him. Right. And then, of course, like he immediately lets go and regrets doing that because this is all he's ever known and he loves his mom and, you know, whatever 
like love means, I guess, to anyone. But this movie, yeah. He, yeah, he he thinks, you know, like, should I be grateful? And she gave up this life to raise me. And then the therapist, you know, at the beginning of the movie writes like guilty right at the, at the oh, very yeah. beginning in the opening scene. I forgot about that. Yeah. So this this whole scene is just like a materialized idea of wrestling with all of that and how absurd and sad that all is is kind of great to me in, yes. in this like really funny funny ending yeah um, and it's it's much more i think what people got a little bit confused about which is fair like i've been saying which is that the first hour of the movie feels grounded and the yeah. the last hour hour and 15 well, minutes it's still absurd but yes well i feel like in, the, in I a feel way like where we've seen as, this before as soon as Bo enters his home and he is now having like sex in his mom's room with his like childhood i guess person he sort of liked on the from the cruise line yeah i think the movie enters into like full literary mode where it's just like all symbolism and nothing is is grounded or literal anymore you could tell me that Bo could wake up in his even though Ari Aster would never do that for his ending but wake up in his apartment and he just like forgot to make his flight yeah like because that's I think where the movie's going he doesn't give us that which I love but I think a lot of people were they, I almost weirdly think people would have been satisfied at the end of this movie if as soon as he flipped his boat and he was drowning and everybody was watching him drown, <laughs> if he would have just woke up on his couch. Even though that would have made the movie so much worse. I think people yeah. are so used to a more linear Like it was structure. all a dream. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It would have been Inception for people. I mean, I think people would definitely like hate that ending because of the it's all a dream. But I think the genius of like Ari Aster's Bo is Afraid is that he is kind of exploring a dreamy like like thought sequence yes. that people have every day absolutely <laughs> just, like, just walking around too. In the yeah. background. Yeah. <laughs> um, because yeah. there's not a lot of language for people to sort through their shit basically yeah, and so yeah. this idea of like an epic that someone <laughs> goes through uh and feeling anxious and trapped or like hit by a blurry memory of a vacation or yeah. like a tuesday night you know <laughs> that that like Bo kind of goes through um and relying on these stories to find connection and reflect through that forest sequence, the like Wizard of Oz <laughs> trippy Bugs Life. Yeah, uh, I love the Bugs Life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just love when I love that it's like this epic of anxiety and feeling trapped. But then also like, OK, we feel connection or are seen by this because you know, Bo stands up and he's like, that, that's my story. That's oh, me. Yeah. When he's know? like the older version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I love because it's, it's just like, you know, um, Kelsey was the only person who busts out laughing when the three boys, the three sons come and hug like Bo. Bo yeah. yeah. When he's like my darlings. Yeah. My loves. And then if you watch Joaquin Phoenix in the scene, it took me a second after Kelsey laughed where I was like, Oh, he's, this is a comedic bit for him. And it took me like a good five ten seconds to actually laugh but when kelsey initially laughed i was like kelsey people are like sad in this scene you're laughing out loud right now but everyone was the, very serious by yeah. the end of the scene people were laughing genuinely because it was hilarious <laughs> well yeah i just i mean i loved that whole sequence of going through the like animated story of of people's lives it was like yeah you will you know know the the satisfaction of bread and wine because you've earned it. <laughs> like just the sequence of going through like you will a, build a house with your hands. Yeah. A simulation. <laughs> it was like, or, or a Disney world ride or something. It yeah. was so, so great. Like the AI narrative, but I just, I've never seen the idea of like people creating a narrative to stay sane or oh like, my God, so smart feeling like they need to have control over their lives and then passing that narrative onto their children. And then like that, kind of generational untangling um happening but in this mythical world of like the wizard of oz um hell like <laughs> it, I, I mean that's amazing and it's yeah. weird it's fun like and the religious symbolism was really interesting too like i'm yeah. really excited to revisit this portion of the movie even though the forest bit didn't completely work for me yeah i remember you saying that when we left the theater and maybe this is a good time to talk about the reaction and kind of divisiveness uh, that has come out from the movie so far, because I think people did feel like the movie dragged in certain parts or, you know, didn't make sense or didn't have a message, which obviously we disagree mm. with, but I'm interested to hear like your thoughts since now you love it, you know? Yes. Well, okay. So when we talk to James in the part two of this deep dive, we'll kind of 
you know, go beat by beat of this story. So I'll get more in depth with it there. But there are some pacing issues, I think, in the movie. And I think in the forest, it's probably most clear. I felt it immediately and I went to the bathroom because I knew that would be the only time I could. Yeah, you have like a sense for those things. Trey always goes to the bathroom at the right time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I think ultimately I'm always going to be, I think honestly, Ari Aster, if he ever could hear this, uh, I think he would understand this based on this movie. I'm always going to be a bit allergic to self-important stories of neurotic white guys. Sure. Like Cha-Cha Real Smooth last year. Yeah. That one okay. really got under my skin. Yeah. Long-time listeners know that. Like, <laughs> uh, Cooper Rafe is going to be, if not already, a really good director. But I do think that movie is a good example of like what maybe we don't need anymore with like neurotic white guys. Yeah. Um, but I do think there is something special about Aster and Bo is Afraid. And I think after seeing people's negative reaction lately to this movie, I'm weirdly more into it. (laughs) Not from like some kind of contrarian reason, but more because I know that conventional superficial films have indoctrinated me. Like I know that. And Ari Aster knows that. And he is like among some really, really talented artistic millennial filmmakers that have the opportunity to make big blockbusters, though I don't think any of them want to, really, when you listen to them talk about those movies. Mm. Like, when you listen to Robert Eggers talk about The Northman, he loves the story, he loves what he did, but when you hear him talk about the commercial aspects, it's like he's sick. And I feel like Ari Aster (laughs) is similar. And I think Damien Chazelle is, like, kind of the pinnacle of that. Like, he hates talking about the commercial parts of Babylon. And so I think all of these filmmakers are all trying to save us like cinephiles people who love (laughs) going to the movie theater and having different experiences and not recycled ones and i truly believe that like aster and others like eggers with the northman or chazelle with babylon jordan peele with nope greta gerwig this summer with barbie Mm -hmm. all these filmmakers are in similar age groups and i'm not convinced any of these people like themselves for making overly expensive big swing movies yeah, nor you can do feel i feel that they're compli- they feel complicated about it in their interviews yeah i also don't think they like when people are are saying things like wow you took a big swing here because that's shorthand for you're not going to get another job after this movie <laughs> um which is incredibly rude uh but i do believe that those directors and there's more too that i'm just forgetting right now in the moment but they're trying to save the art form i'm and i'm i mean that like and i'm here for it and after reading some reviews that are negative about bo is afraid I've noticed that people are just angry that they tried to outsmart the movie and they thought they went into it thinking they were going to do like a fun house and, or they were going to do, what are those things that people go into the house with friends and they try to do all those like puzzles? Uh, Oh, like an escape room. Yeah. Like an escape room, like movie. And that's what people think of Ari Aster's films, his first two movies. And that's just not what Bo is afraid is. And that's gonna be a part of my extra credits, but I don't want to step on that right now. Um, But yeah, I think people thinking they can outsmart Bo is afraid means to people that it has no value, that it doesn't have something to say and that it's not complicated and that it's too simple or overly indulgent. And I don't know. I think it just kind of makes me mad that people think because a movie is transparent uh, that it's bad. And I think there are like actual legitimate film critics who have made very convincing arguments about like pacing issues or parts of the movie that maybe he spent too much time on that are less interesting or maybe not being connected emotionally to the bro character as much as they'd want to. Uh, But I do think for the more reductive takes on the movie, I found those pretty hilarious and I keep reading more and more of these takes on the movie uh, that I just think are are so off base because I think Bo is afraid is so very loud about its message. Yeah. Very explicit And you are going into a journey into Bo's psyche and it's like self-aware of its own self-loathing. And that's, I think what Kels, you were saying earlier. And again, it reminds me of Jordan Peele's Nope because it's kind of self-hating, like angry Mm -hmm. at itself for also being spectacle while critiquing spectacle. So I hope more people take a second to breathe and just like appreciate this movie and Aster swing swing hard like really hard with this movie but in the in the best way possible and hopefully he can make even you know bigger movies even though I don't think a bigger budget is necessary because I don't really know what else audiences want like do we want to watch Top Gun Maverick 3 in a few years and like Tom Cruise can come back to save us all from another unnamed enemy. (laughs) Maybe this time he'll take out some like random surveillance drones, like flying over the Midwest and 
we can all comfortably enjoy him doing that because those balloons are from an undisclosed Asian country. (laughs) Like, do we really want that? The thing about Top Gun, Trey, is that it was all a dream. Okay. Um, (laughs) I forgot. I'm sorry. (laughs) In Top Gun 3, I think, well, I guess just Maverick in general, right? Yeah. If it is all a dream, then is that like Maverick's version of Bo Bo is afraid? afraid. Maverick is afraid. Mav is afraid. Yeah. Mav doesn't get afraid. Yeah. Okay. Let's, um, let's transition out of the themes. Let's talk about the, uh, one of the big winners from this movie, whether people liked it or hated it. It seems like people loved Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. So let's talk about Phoenix. No surprise here. Phoenix is great as Bo. It's hard to explain on a single watch, but this performance is very physical but it's also the least physical performance I've seen (laughs) from Joaquin Phoenix. It's so restrained. Um, But Phoenix, he does a great job of inhabiting the cartoonish world of Bo. Yeah. And he is like mumbling through every conversation to a point where I just had to accept that I, I know I'm not supposed to know what he just said. Cause like I couldn't tell even in IMAX with the loud volume in there. And it was okay because I understood the character and the context. Like he's this manic depressive who has been overly medicated his whole life. So he's dealing with like these mental health issues. And on top of that, he's got these like deeply troubling psychosexual Freudian problems from his childhood. So Phoenix as an actor has a lot on his plate with this character to get across without much dialogue. I don't know if you noticed that, but this, yeah. script, this script, I'd be so curious to see what it looks like. Cause it must just look like a storybook because there's not a lot that Joaquin Phoenix says in this movie. And I think that's what makes it one of his most low-key impressive performances. I don't know if I would go as far as to say it's his best, like a lot of people are doing, Um, but it's definitely one of his most uh, interesting ones. It's also fascinating that Joaquin Phoenix is kind of at the center of a big budget odyssey, like a hero story, which feels very anti-Joaquin Phoenix. I know he just did a big budget, like he did Joker, which is like, the villain that's story. That's different though. Yeah. Um, but so he's but I not, guess we were surprised when he was in that too. Yeah. So I don't really know where he is like, I guess philosophically right now, but that's a different conversation. But I am fascinated that he took on this role because it is so, it would be so hard for me to see this on a script. He must've just really liked Midsommar and Hereditary, but there's just a wild clash of expectations you have for Bo as a character because on first glance, Bo is a sad boy who misses his mom. but you also sympathize with him like Kels was saying earlier. So he's just kind of like innocently being brutally taken advantage of every moment of the movie, like being stabbed in the hand 30 times by the the birthday stabber (laughs) (laughs) and you were screaming with Bo uh, or being terrorized by evil 16 year olds that I guess I'm assuming Ari Aster, not a big fan of teenagers nowadays, but what's really smart about the writing of Bo is that Aster even subverts your sympathy for his character because mm-hmm. there's also this like sly satire about how Bo may just be heavily incompetent and like blaming everyone else for his problems yeah. in a mumbling way. And I like that the movie kind of zags when it does and chooses to to say those things, especially when the mom tells him off at the end of the film, there was something kind of uh, scary in that moment because Bo is also realizing that even though his mom has been manipulating him, that he's also very weak. Yeah. So I actually think Phoenix gets across that contrast really well. And that, that contrast I think is the highlight of his performance. Like somehow I think he nails the anxiety of someone who feels both innocent and guilty at the same time. So it's just a great job on the page and in the performance. Yeah. And I think at the top, I said that, it reminded me of his performance in PTA's master mm-hmm. and and also like Bo is afraid weirdly has a similar vibe. It's obviously, I mean, obviously master's absurd in its own way, but I guess it is Aster esque as the cult. And yeah. All that. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, they feel like they share something, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that's probably why walking Phoenix had interest in this movie. Like it, it seems like PTA also is exploring some similar themes. Well, I think fittingly Joaquin Phoenix likes playing the antithesis to the American hero. Yeah. Whether it be the master character or Joker or Bo, like in this movie, he is playing a balding microwave meal eating mommy problems, sad boy, (laughs) but also low key. Those same traits make the Bo character and performance maybe the most honest depiction of a modern American man Mm -hmm. or white man. 
like maybe the actual Tom Cruise Maverick <laughs> of 2023 America is Bo. <laughs> so uh, to full circle the Maverick conversation. Yeah. So two thumbs up for Phoenix and Aster. Yeah. It's so funny that you said this is like a physical performance while also not being physical because it's a lot of just walking Phoenix, like face work, sitting on a couch, being afraid <laughs> of these suburban supposed surgeons and yeah. whoever who are trapping him. But, um, well, he feels like a, like a sick stomach personified. Like he's doing such a good job of like shaking at the right times, not yeah. making eye contact at the right times, mumbling at the right times. And then when he chokes his mom also at the right times, like he lost it. And I think yeah. that like he, has that restraint from the master, but then he has that freak out moment like he does in Joker. Yeah. Well, I think of him as a physical actor. Like there's a lot of work in all of his movies where he's not saying anything like he, that's his presence. And I love how you just put that like a sick stomach, uh, especially in this movie. Something that I thought was interesting. I listened to the A24 conversation between Ari Aster and Joaquin Phoenix this morning. I didn't learn a ton about the movie besides like their experience just shooting it together and walking Phoenix being the star. But uh, at one point uh, Ari Aster pointed out or someone pointed out to Phoenix that he like wasn't walking, like he had a a stab wound. Okay. (laughs) Um, And so he put a clip, like a binder clip on his his stomach, on his stomach for like the whole time shooting from that point on. I feel like that has to mess with your skin or like something, but he also put a a pin in his hand where it was wrapped up. So that way he wouldn't use the hand at all um, because he said that he was bothered when sometimes people have like a cast or something and they use a hand. I mean, it doesn't sound that bad. Give me two binder clips for a million dollars. I'm in. That's true. Yeah. (laughs) And just while we're on cast, I want to shout out, Parker Posey, who we just talked yes. about in Scream 3 in our ranking of Scream. Yeah, that was a fun pod. Uh, yeah, we are in the Scream 3 hive yes. and also Parker Posey. Yeah. I also liked Amy Ryan as Grace, which I think many people from our age group are going to know as Michael Scott's right girlfriend, wife. I'm not sure. Beyonce, from the office. who knows? Yeah. All of the above. Uh, so <laughs> I loved how she was just helping out Bo when she could throughout yeah. that Stop sequence. incriminating yourself. Yeah. Channel yeah. <laughs> 78. Oh, man. Also, big spoiler. If you've been around listening to pod this long, this is actually the kind of biggest spoiler that's not in the trailer <laughs> is that the a UPS driver calls Bo to tell or I guess Bo calls his mom yeah. to tell him he can't make the flight. <laughs> a UPS driver picks up the phone. The name you'd like you can recognize yeah, the like, sound of the voice. Yeah. And you turned to me, I think you said, who is this? James turned to me, said, who is this? And then as soon as they show the UPS driver on the news, it's Bill Hader. Yeah. With his so back awesome. to the screen. <laughs> yeah. Low-key great press for Barry in its final season right now on That's HBO, true. which is not a show we've ever watched, maybe. I think. No, we started it. Okay. Um, I, I remember liking it. Yeah, I think I liked it more than you. Yeah, we only got through a few episodes, but people love that show, so we got to check that out. But it was great free press. Uh, I also love the scene where he's like calling him um, yes. and, and we don't know it's him yet, but he they're, <laughs> they're on the phone. He's like, uh, so maybe this isn't your mom though. Like, yes, yeah. He's like, do you have the right number? Wait, like who called who? And he's like, no, I have this number saved. Yeah. And they're like, okay, well like just, just call again and we'll see. And then <laughs> he when he hangs calls. up and it shows everywhere he's called, it's like mom, yeah. therapist, mom, movie phone. <laughs> yeah. I, what was movie phone? Well, that's just like an old, I think, isn't that the website people used to buy tickets on like old oh, Fandango? Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, but I love when he just hits the mom contact again. again and he's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, sorry man. man. He yeah. says it immediately. He doesn't say, okay. He just goes, sorry, man. It's so good. <laughs> so funny. Okay. So let's get to our extra credits. You want to go first? Yeah. My extra credit is the idea that the mom owns a surveillance company. Oh my God. So smart. <laughs> such good writing. I just think it's such a funny way to talk about how the presence of your childhood looms over like everything that you do. (laughs) Ari Aster said in hereditary when he was doing press that he really wanted to call attention to the dollhouses. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that was kind of his end to even writing hereditary because he said the characters are like dolls and that they're manipulated by forces outside of their control. Mm -hmm. And in hereditary, we have like the coven, which is a heightened metaphor for a family as a cult where we're socialized, right? Like the, the dollhouse. And so the surveillance in Bo's apartment represents him not being able to escape these like unhealthy thought patterns or leave his Mm -hmm. sense of guilt to process his past. And 
you know, his, the mom's logo for the company is everywhere. And when I saw it in her house, I was like, I saw that in the apartment somewhere. I just like, couldn't pinpoint it. And when I, I went back it. to watch the trailer today, um, uh, because again, we like hadn't really seen it. I, it, it was on the microwave What when he puts in, what is it like a, the Hawaiian Irish microwave yeah. meal. <laughs> so I think it's interesting that people are saying they don't like the movie because Bo doesn't feel like a real person or like he as a character isn't fully developed. But I think we are getting a limited version of a person, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're going down this rabbit hole of his fears, anxiety and trauma. That's all kind of lingering in his mind. It's sort of like, uh, I guess with the surveillance uh, metaphor that I'm talking about for my extra credit, it's kind of like a ghost in yeah. a way um, yeah. that you have from your past, even if you're not conscious of it. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciated Bo's character, not because he's this fully realized character, but because he kind of is this representation of vulnerability, of absurdity that people are like walking around this world, kind of hiding their fear all the time. That's yeah. why it's funny like that. Bo is openly afraid and Ari Aster's (laughs) talked about this a lot. He's interested in the idea that we spend like a lot of our time and and in our lives trying to stop thinking about how vulnerable we are. Mm -hmm. Like we keep avoiding that. And so I think, you know, that can be abstract through like Bo's whole journey. Yeah. Or that could be more related to what he's done in hereditary where he's really focused on like death, like in, in Bo is afraid too. We see, Bo have existential thoughts or the representation of that where he turns on channel 78 and sees his future by fast forwarding. Uh, and we have this like idea of looming dread through that. And so I just really liked the different layers of like the surveillance system Mm -hmm. and childhood looming over, uh, you and, and controlling a lot of like decisions or thought patterns that you have if you're not dealing with them. Mm. Uh, and that's similar to hereditary and like the dollhouse that Ari Aster is trying to do because of his version of that here is his, the mom and like the parenting and how he was raised having a hand and everything from his therapist, yeah. um, to the building that, uh, I think she owns, or at least just has the Seems surveillance like she owns in. the block. Yeah. yeah. And then also we understand at the end that the supposed surgeon, the suburban house from hell that he's being trapped in, mm. uh, that guy is actually her employee, right? We see his face in the many faces yeah. um, that make up Mona's face, which is one of the best images funniest, in the whole movie. Funniest part of the movie, I think, maybe, <laughs> yeah, honestly. So good. Um, I love the surveillance system as an extra credit because I think it's going to be, I think you're right. I think it's going to be the thing that we think this movie deserves the most recognition for because it has so many different layers and it's such a powerful metaphor because it's really obvious that the movie deserves to be re- revisited when you see Bo going through this timeline, almost like this hall of fame of his life at his mother's <laughs> home of all yeah. these photos from him in his childhood. A literal timeline. We yeah. weirdly never see pictures of Bo when he's like 25. It's just like when he's 12 and yeah. when he's 49. <laughs> and then when he sees his older self, when he has those three sons or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but when he sees that kind of like timeline of himself, of the different pictures of him, like, in those pharmaceutical drug commercials or the pimple face yeah. commercials or whatever, or the pictures of him and his mom. He's like an ad kid. Yeah. Hollywood child. Yeah. When you're seeing those photos lined up, you start to realize that, okay, Mona acts as this like mother figure who is overwhelming Bo from a very uh, young age, but also she like is representing an institution that's trying to control Bo. He's trying to sedate him. Through- yeah. Like a, just parenting in general as this idea of, of dictating decisions and then that informs who you are. Yeah. And sedation, like trying to make the correlation between being like overly medicated and this like parent and this like low income housing, public housing situation Bo is in like all these kind of like small symbols of the way that his life is being controlled. and He doesn't have much agency is a real struggle. So that's a great extra credit. Um, mine is much more simple. Okay. I think Bo is afraid is basically I'm going to boil it down to a big F you from Ari Aster okay. to all of the annoying elevated horror critics out there. And I mean that in a few ways because the movie feels like a middle finger to a few different groups. First to the people who are trying to project a pretentious quality to Aster's work okay. from Hereditary to Midsommar and also a middle finger to the people who are so obsessed with both of his movies that they need everything explained. <laughs> and they want to try to figure it out deeply, which I am guilty of. So I want to give extra credit to Bo is Afraid 
for basically being about Ari Aster spilling his guts out for the audience, but in the most straightforward way possible, that is highly entertaining because this movie could have been called Bo is Afraid colon explained. Like (laughs) Like an explained article. Yeah, or explained YouTube video. And I think that would have been kind of hilarious in the (laughs) marketing for, for this movie if they would have done that. So I think Bo deserves more recognition because Ari Aster swings hard and then he destroys kind of like blockbuster movie conventions. And movies do not get enough credit for that. Like this is an IMAX movie with a giant penis monster. Sure. And people who don't like this movie are saying... Bo's trauma isn't that deep or isn't this movie just the odyssey but with a sad man like yeah that's the point it is hilarious and insane and how (laughs) self-aware it is and Aster I think deserves credit for getting this movie made because again if he just joined the conjuring universe it would suck (laughs) we would just get the most superficial recycled movies forever so I think that we're all a little bit conditioned much like Bo to stick up for conventional storytelling and the divisive reaction to this movie proves the purpose of why Bo is Afraid is kind of an essential text for us right now in 2023. Like what kind of movie are people looking for? Are they looking for the same old thing or are they looking to be provoked a little bit? Yeah, I will say that there are some critics and just people who are saying like, this movie's not for me, but I respect it. That's the take. And yeah, Yeah. and I think that's like, I'm all in for that because like I said, I like this more than you immediately because I really like this kind of like humor. So I was already kind of like in on it uh, before I even like figured out what was happening in the end. But uh, for people who are saying, like I've seen this a lot actually, like, okay, Ari Aster should have, you know, worked this out in therapy and it shouldn't have been a big blockbuster, which they're saying like flippantly. But I still think that, like if they're criticizing this movie for being too absurd or like not fully together, like just, I don't compare to what? Yeah, exactly. Like, what movies are you guys watching? Cause I'd like to know, I watch a movie. We watch a movie every night, at least one on yeah. Sunday. I watch like four movies. Like what am I missing something? Is there a streaming service that has <laughs> contemporary films that are really kind of breaking genres? No. So I don't know what people are talking about. Yeah. So, I mean, I, again, like I fully understand if people, this is not their favorite movie. Yeah. And that's why we still recommend sure. people to go see it, even if you end up not liking it after. So yeah. um, I, I really love this movie. I can't wait to talk more about it with James and kind of deep dive because it's so funny. We've talked about this movie for an hour, but we really didn't even talk about so much of the movie. Like, yeah. I mean, I just mentioned the penis monster. We didn't talked about it at all. Yeah. Like or the, the whole... yeah. The water uh, yeah. dreams slash nightmares slash memories. Yes. Or uh, yeah. I mean, I was about to, I don't want to step on some things. I want that okay. to be exciting for next okay. episode. Uh, okay. Well, that was the extra credits of Bo is afraid. We have a deep dive coming out tomorrow with our guy, James or Friday. And we have a conversation with a thousand ones writer director, A.V. Rockwell later this week. We also have a succession episode coming Sunday and we'll have a pod out Monday next week for that and then Sean Fennessy from The Ringer came on to talk about Damien Chazelle's movies and that'll be out soon also don't forget to follow our podcast on Spotify and Apple shoot us five stars please we're an independent show we appreciate your support yes let us know what you like about our show in the Apple reviews yeah and we have our 100th episode coming up and so we're going to read some really nice reviews that we've gotten lately thank you to our listeners super kind yeah. and and we're going to be dropping a mailbag for yes. that too which we'll so be announcing on the pod soon your questions yeah we have some updates on our show that we want to talk to listeners about for this past few months what we've been doing on the show and also for the for the near future all right everyone make sure to turn your music down so your neighbors can sleep <laughs> or else they'll take your keys your fictitious keys <laughs> uh, this has been trey and this is kelsey peace bye sleep tight bye <laughs>